0: Hey friend, welcome to the Erie First Podcast, the weekly message series featuring Pastor Nicole Schreiber. Let me ask you, do you believe in coincidences? Have you ever experienced a coincidence so strange that you couldn't believe it happened? What if those strange occurrences or chance encounters were more than just freak coincidences? Today, Pastor Nicole is starting a new series called Hey Friend, where she's going to explore just how much God truly cares for each and every one of us. And today we'll see how sometimes those crazy things that happen are really part of a plan, because Jesus cares about you. I think we're going to like this series, so let's get started. Here's Pastor Nicole.
1: So, a coincidence, a coincidink, is when two events strangely or remarkably happen at the same time, but without any apparent reason or connection. Okay, that's what a coincidence is. Now, two years ago, my husband and I celebrated our 15th wedding anniversary, and we decided to take a trip um, to Nashville, Tennessee. Neither of us had ever been there before, and so we decided to go and check it out. And one of the evenings that we were there, uh, we went to a very small cafe um, called the Bluebird Cafe. It's a very small little cafe in Nashville, and there was probably only... 50 people in there, maybe 60 people in there. And our waitress came to take our order. And I said to Joel after she walked away, wow, she looks really familiar. I I think we went to high school with her. And Joel looked at me and he was like, Nicole, you are crazy. <laughs> we are 600 miles away from home. Um, there are, we know zero people in this town. There is no way that she is from Seneca High School, which is this tiny little small rural school that Joel and I went to and graduated from. And so in kind of this moment of, um, I'll just prove you wrong right here, right now, <laughs> Joel says to her when she walks back to the table, Where are you from? And she says, oh, just uh, all the way up in Pennsylvania. (laughs) And I smiled brightly, and I said, is your name Laura? And she said, Yes, it it is. It was her. It was her, inexplicably her. She graduated a year ahead of us in high school, our first time in Nashville, halfway across the country, and she was our waitress at this small little tiny cafe. What are the chances? And the funniest part is she (laughs) completely remembered Joel, but could not recall me at all. (laughs) So that's, he's pretty handsome. He has that effect on people. But she knew exactly who he was. And uh, Nicole who? Had no idea who I was. Now, a pastor friend of mine uh, recently told me this story. Uh, Near his childhood home in Omaha, Nebraska, was this great oak tree, okay? And uh, there was one really fat limb that was protruding from its trunk, And for many years, there was a rope swing that was on that limb, and one day, um, he and his girlfriend, this was many years ago when he was very young, they were swinging together, and he felt like this tremor, and he thought that that branch was going to fall. He heard a crack, and he looked up, and he thought that heavy branch was going to fall off, but it didn't. But they took the swing down in an overabundance of caution, and uh, and he was just very careful, wondering what was going to happen to this swing. Well, Years and years go by and once a year he moved away and he would go back and he would visit his parents in Omaha and he would pass that tree. And every year he said he would drive by the tree just looking and he would say, well, I'll be, that branch is still there. That branch is still there, that branch is still there. Over and over and over. He said for 40 years he went, he'd always drive by this tree. And he said last year at that exact moment, that he was driving by the tree. The crack in the branch widened and it fell down. Before his very eyes, 40 years later, what are the odds of that? What are the odds of that? I bet that maybe right now you could chime in and you could tell a story maybe about a coincidence that you have experienced, Uh, maybe just like one of these Um, if you won't, I'll be able to prove Joel wrong in those situations, but maybe you have something that you just can't even believe happened to you, that you just can't even believe happens. It happens all the time to us. Have you ever um, had this one particular song that every grocery store you go in, it's playing? And you're like, is this a message? You know, like there there are these things that just happening over and over and over. And I want to propose something to you today in that what if There was no such thing as coincidences. What if everything that happens, everything small, everything seemingly meaningless happens in perfect timing because there is a God who cares about you and there is a God who cares about me in charge of all of this. What if that was the case? In 1937, Walt Disney released Uh, his first full-length animated movie, and it's called Snow White and Seven Dwarfs. And producing an animated movie, particularly in 1937, was a gargantuan task. In fact, Disney artists drew one million pictures, and uh, each picture flashed on the screen for 1 24th of a second. And so as you watched the movie at regular speed, it seems so simple. You would just watch the movie. But we had no idea all that went into it. And I think about uh, the providence of God. Our lives are a lot like that movie that God puts infinite thought and skill and care and careful attention into every single detail. But yet our lives run at regular speed and we have no idea how much God's hand is in every single second of all of those things. And so I want to talk this morning about what I believe is God's providence. And that word providence is not found in modern Bible translations, but the concept is certainly found all over the scripture. Providence means God not only knows the big picture, but he is concerned with the tiniest of details. Like God not only knows the big picture, but he also concerns himself with the tiniest of details. He upholds all things, he governs all events. He directs everything to its appointed end. He does this all the time and in every circumstance, and he does it always for his own glory. So there's this man in Scripture named Joseph whose life just showed us a powerful example of how much God cares about us and how God's invisible hand is guiding us. I want you to think about maybe some things you know about Joseph. It's not uh, Joseph, Jesus' father. I'm talking about Joseph of the Old Testament. And one of the reasons that God gives us, I believe, a very close look on Joseph's, Joseph's life is to show us how active God is, that he never leaves us, he never forsakes us along the way. Now, I promise I'm going to tell you the the story in Scripture today, and it's going to be better than Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, okay? Even though there's no little people running around named Dopey, but I think it's going to be better, all right? As you hear this story, it goes like this. Joseph uh, was his father's favorite. Now, don't raise your hand, but how many of you are the favorite kid? (laughs) And he uh, was, (laughs) some of you raised your hand, he was the object of envy of his brothers. Because he was his father's favorite, he was the object of envy for his brothers. And one day his brothers conspired to sell him into slavery uh, to the Midianites who happened to be passing by. And they did that, and then uh, he had a coat of, of special color. You may have heard that about Joseph. And so what they did with the coat is they splashed some blood of a goat onto the coat so that it looked like he had been killed by a wild animal. And then they took the coat back to their father, Jacob, and they said, Look, your son, Joseph, your favorite son, Joseph, is dead. And Jacob grieved. He believed it. He believed their lie, and he was so sorrowful in that moment. Now, meanwhile, Joseph really wasn't dead. He was taken to Egypt by the Midianites. And there he was sold again, this time to a man named Potiphar. Now, Potiphar happened to be the head of Pharaoh's security force. Coincidence? I don't think so. And Potiphar uh, uh, acquires Joseph. And in Genesis 39, it tells us that Joseph gained favor with Potiphar because the Lord was with Joseph to bless him. So even though Joseph was, uh, was with Potiphar as, as someone that he thought he'd put to work, Joseph gained favor with Potiphar. And eventually, get this, Potiphar put Joseph in charge of the entire household. He said, look, look after my land. Care for the property. You oversee the people. And he, he actually took Joseph and he gave him honor. And he said, you are going to be the one who, I I believe that you are intelligent and and you can run this. You have leadership skills. I'm going to let you be the head of my property and of my household. And so he puts Joseph in charge. Now, Joseph was competent. He was confident. He was good looking, much like Joel Schreiber. (laughs) And I just told a bad story about him, so now i got to redeem that. And Potiphar, um, Potiphar's wife, approaches him and tries to seduce him and says, uh, uh, he, a- he asks him about having an affair. And Joseph, a man of great character, refuses. And he points out that he could not betray Potiphar. He is very loyal to him and he would not sin against God. But the woman persisted. To the point that one day when everyone else was gone, she actually attempts to pull him down on her bed. And Joseph flees from the scene. He leaves part of his coat behind because he's, he's running away. And the woman is humiliated and she's upset. And she feels that, you know, like she, she didn't get what she wanted. She, she claims that she was taken advantage of. Now, this was a, a false charge, of course. We know that Joseph was above reproach in every way. But Potiphar believed his wife. And in a quick turn of events, Joseph is found in prison again. So there's Joseph in prison, probably not seeing the invisible hand of God very well to himself. He, he, he got sold into, into this bad situation. Then Potiphar said, okay, uh, I'm going to give you honor. And then all of a sudden, in a minute, all of that is gone, and he finds himself in prison again. And so in prison, it says once again, he gained the respect of his fellow prisoners and of the guards. And this happened because the Lord was with him and the Lord was blessing him. And he made two very significant friendships, the cupbearer and a baker. A cupbearer and a baker while he was in prison. And the scripture says one night, Uh, Both of Joseph's friends had dreams that they could not interpret, but Joseph was able to interpret them with the Lord's help. And the dreams came true exactly as Joseph had predicted. In the end, the baker was hung, but the cupbearer was released. And so Joseph says to the cupbearer, Listen, uh, remember me. Like once you get out on the other side of these walls, remember me. Come back for me. Tell them what happened to me so that I can get out of this prison. And the cupbearer is released. And he doesn't keep his promise. He forgets about Joseph. He he doesn't go to his aid. And so two years pass. Two years. And Pharaoh had a dream that he couldn't interpret. Coincidental? I think not. And so Pharaoh has this dream. And in a moment, the cupbearer says, wait a minute. I know somebody who can interpret dreams When I was in prison, I was with this guy named Joseph, and he interpreted it, and it was exactly right on. Let's go get him. And so they uh, they go, and, and Joseph comes out, and Joseph correctly interprets the dream, and he's rewarded by Pharaoh. And listen to what happens. Pharaoh makes him the prime minister of Egypt. What a transformation. He starts out by being thrown in a pit by his brothers, faking his death. And now he is the prime minister of Egypt. Now, eventually, a famine settles on the Near East. And Jacob tells his sons, go to Egypt, buy us some grain. We don't have enough to eat. And they go. And in the process, who do they meet? Joseph. They don't know it's him. They don't realize that it's him. I mean, they sold him into a pit. They they threw him into a pit. They sold him into slavery years and years before. They had no idea. And this happens twice that he doesn't know. And then Joseph says, listen, I'm Joseph. He reveals his identity. And they're shocked and they're scared because they betrayed him. And now he is in a position of authority. Like he could get even really easily. He could say, no grain for you. (laughs) You don't get anything. And he's in this position, but Joseph doesn't do that. He takes an opportunity to explain how the hand of God had been on him the whole way. He says, look, uh, I know that this isn't what you thought, but I was in prison, and then I was out of prison, and then I had the favor of people, and then I interpreted the dream, and then here I am, and I'm in this position, not because it's a coincidence, but because the hand of God, the invisible hand of God, has been working in my life over and over. He was working in my life when I was in prison, and he was working in my life when I'm the prime minister of Egypt, and he goes on to say, now, that's not the end of the story, the brothers, they go back, and they tell their father, uh, we don't really know how to explain this, but Joseph's alive. And, and Jacob's head is spinning. What, what, what do you mean? I, I can't believe it. And they said, come, come to Egypt. Let's go together. I want you to see him. And so he makes the trip, and he's reunited with his son that he had been given up to dead many years ago. Can you imagine? All of the grief that Jacob walked through and dealt with and now all of a sudden Joseph is right there. Right there, his favorite son. And then he meets the Pharaoh who offers to let Joseph's family settle in Egypt for as long as they want. Because the Pharaoh loves Joseph. He says, they can come, they can settle in Egypt as long as they want, and the family settles in Egypt, and they live in peace for many, many years. And finally, it says that Jacob died at the age of 147. And so now it's Joseph and his brothers. And in the scripture, it says that the brothers fear that now that Jacob's gone, uh, Joseph is going to be like, about that get even thing. (laughs) Like, you know, you remember what you guys did to me. And so they kind of kindly say, hey, um, dad told us that you need to treat us good (laughs) in the scripture. Make sure that that you don't forget those promise. And Joseph responds like this, and I want to read it to you in Genesis 50, verses 19 through 20. These are the words of a man who believes that he has seen the providence of God. Uh, Genesis 50. Don't be afraid, He sang to his brothers. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. The King James Version translates verse 20 this way, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. God is able to take the evil actions of sinful men and to use them to accomplish his plans. Joseph saw the invisible hand of God at work in his life, and he understood that despite his conniving brothers, the Lord God had orchestrated the entire plan to or- in order to get him to just the right place at just the right time in order to save his whole family his entire family. It took years and years for God's purposes to be clear. But in the end, Joseph saw how God cared so much about him and his family. Joseph saw that God worked all the details out at just the right moment. And all of this happened at just the right moment and just the right way. So just the right people in just the right place, in the end, everything would come out the way that God ordained it to be. And that's what's happening in your life today, and that's what's happening in my life today. Your life is filled with just the right moments, and just the right ways, and just the right people, and just the right places. Now, it might be hard to see. I'm sure Joseph, at times when he was in prison, at times when he was uh, being completely just treated unfairly, I am sure at points in his story, he said to the Lord, what are you doing? But even when we can't see it, we can trust that God cares about our lives and he is working all things that he intended to accomplish. The life of Joseph tells us a couple things. First, I want to bring to our attention today that the life of Joseph shows us that God cares about the tiniest details of life. Matthew 10 Verses 29 to 31 says, are you not, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered, so don't be afraid, you are worth more than many sparrows. He knows when a sparrow falls, he knows the number of hairs on your head or their lack of. Okay, he knows. He knows all of those things. He keeps track of the stars in the sky and the rivers that flow to the oceans. He sets the day of your birth, the day of your death, and he ordains everything that comes to pass in between. There isn't a day that God hasn't figured out. There isn't a detail that he is not looking over. God knows all of those things. There isn't something he doesn't care about. You can come to him with anything, big or small. And this morning, if you have not felt seen or you have felt ignored or overlooked, I want you to know today that God has not forgotten you. That he hasn't forgotten a moment. He hasn't forgotten a day. He is with you. He is in all of those very, very small and very, very big moments. He knows the way you order your steak He knows your favorite uh, candle scent. He knows what your greatest worry is. He has counted every single tear that has fallen from your eyes, whether someone else has seen it or not. God cares about you. The life of Joseph also teaches us this, that God cares about us even in our worst moments, even in our most broken moments. You know, we can't always figure out the things we face on this planet. In fact, Joseph probably questioned many times as he rode this roller coaster of life. But in the face of many unanswered questions, we can believe that God is with us and that he cares for us. I really believe that the detailed narrative of Joseph's life, we're supposed to read it like a loving letter from a good father. Like he told us all of these details every single moment to remind you and to remind me that no matter what you're experiencing, sweet or bitter, good or evil, and no matter how long it has lasted, that he has never left you alone, that he is with you, and he is working all things together for good, and he will be with you to the very end. This morning, I want to invite my friend Linda up here today to share with you a real-life example of how God cares about us, even in some of our toughest and most
2: broken moments. Good morning, church. So over probably a month ago, um, I had been in a service, and I had emailed Nicole afterwards. So um, perfect timing. She emailed me this week and said, Hey, that thing you emailed me, I feel like um, it's something that would benefit the body. So here I am. Um, During that service, I felt a real heaviness on my heart. I was crying out to God regarding the brokenness in my family, specifically this day about my siblings. I haven't been in the same room with my three brothers since my mom passed away over six years ago. In the last year and especially in the last month, the division has only been increased with political and spiritual polar differences. The relationship I had with my only brother that lives locally was really tested by a difference of opinion. Both of us got defensive. Uh, There was a lot of tension between us. Things were said. I had many restless nights. My heart was broken. Another brother I even spoke with in over a year I am not sure why. I was told by one of my other brothers that it could be because of who and what I support. The last brother I occasionally speak with, but there's tension if I bring up family. So it's all become somewhat superficial whenever we do get a chance to speak. Both my parents are gone. What's left of my family I grew up with, I feel has been devoured by assumption, division, and resentment. My heart ached. Where are you, Lord? I kept saying, Lord, change me or, or change them so that the restoration can begin. After service, I got this sense in my spirit. We're driving home, and I had this picture in my mind of broken pottery pieces, of a broken heart in that space that you see in the picture of a broken heart, the void that's in the middle of a broken relationship, I work with broken things all the time in my art. The question came to my mind, when I'm to putting two pieces of something broken together, where's my trust? Is it in either one of the broken pieces, or is it in the adhesive that I'm using to put them together? Overwhelming, I had a sense that I needed to take my focus off of the broken parts, And focus on the only adhesive that can bring restoration to broken things. Psalm 147.3 says, Our God heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Binds up their wounds. God is in the middle of our brokenness. I'm clinging to that promise. During that service uh, over a month ago, Nicole said, Sometimes it takes an olive branch. To be completely honest, I was bitter, I was cold, and I'm thinking, how many times? They don't care, why should I? They would leave the relationship just as it is. How God's heart must ache for us. How many times? How many times do we turn away, yet he pursues us time and time again, showing us his love? I feel like love always has to be the tree for which the olive branch is extended from. But I was feeling more anger and resentment than I was feeling love. And then I was reminded that feelings follow actions. I reached out to my brother. I told him I still wanna be a part of each other's lives despite our differences. I asked if he would go with me to our parents' gravesite, which we used to do once a year, clean the stone, weed, and bark. It was something that was important to my mom. It was a neutral place, and it was something we had in common, when the enemy was only showing us what we did not agree on. I went a few days prior to our meeting, and I prayed there. Before I left, I looked at my parents and my grandparents' stone, and I said, listen, I'm going to need some help. (laughs) My anxiety was through the roof with several things going on that morning. I really didn't actually want to go. But Monday morning, I picked him up. We actually went for a ride around the peninsula, and then we went to the site. We made it look beautiful. We didn't talk about things that we don't agree on. We were just brother and sister that day. It was a gift, really. He got out of the car, said goodbye, and I said, listen, maybe one day we can sit and talk to each other about our different views. But today, it was just nice being with you. And I said, I need to tell you, regardless of what we believe, who we support, I need you to know that I love you, brother, no matter what. A couple hours later, I got the idea to use our time together as an olive branch to reach out to my other brothers, sending a picture saying, this happened today. And it was my brother cleaning the stone. I said, I think mom and dad would be happy. I followed it up with another text that said, FYI. I want you to know I love you no matter what. I've reached out to my brother in Oregon more than a dozen times in the last year with absolutely no response. I heard back from both my brothers that day. I was able to tell them both that I love them no matter what. I was reminded of the overwhelming sense of God's love for us no matter what. Who would have thought at a grave site, as I looked at my brother, my tears that day would not be mourning the loss of my parents, but for the fact that God was using this pain for good, that he would give me the courage, that he would calm the storm within me to see past our differences and extend love. while well, he used that love to begin the process of mending the broken pieces within me. My heart was and still is broken. There are large voids, fragments from past and current hurts from my family, my blended family, from friends I've been hurt by, from a divorce, these things all leave fragments. But God fills the space in between. In other words, the broken pieces are still broken. But as I take my focus off that brokenness, I begin to see differently. I realize we all want to be heard. We all want to be loved. We all want to be valued. We all want unity. That's where I can extend love and grace. That's where I can park and find peace within my broken pieces. God is in the middle of that brokenness. He works with the fragments of our lives. None of the broken pieces changed. My brothers and I all think and believe the same things we did a month ago. But my trust and focus shifted from the pieces to the adhesive. So lastly, I want to leave you with this. Art is where I find um, intimacy with God. This is where he speaks to me. This is where he works through me. This is where I feel like I have a gift, and sometimes I feel like a gift that I can share with others. So I've worked on this piece in the past couple of weeks and actually had the the opportunity to have my daughter, uh, my adult daughter, work on it with me which was a whole nother blessing because she's really not fully walking with the Lord right now, but I told her about my vision of these broken pottery pieces. Some of these pieces are from a whole bunch of leftover plates I have of my grandmothers that I had no idea what to do with, and I know it sounds crazy breaking them, but it it was perfect for this time. And... Mm -hmm. I don't know if you can see, but on a lot of these broken pieces are written words. And I was able to work with my daughter and talk about the things that break us. What breaks your heart? What what are some of those things that you just feel broken over? And we talked about disappointments and unworthiness and unforgiveness and death and loss and broken relationships. A divorce for me family, unmet expectations that we have. And she helped me create this piece. So we did this together. But I don't know if you can see it. I think you kind of can. But what I want you to look at in this is the gold between the cracks. And this was inspired by art that I noticed from Japan, I read that in Japan, when things are broken, they repair the objects using gold. And if you look this up, you'll find many pieces of pottery that you'll see the cracks and you'll see gold in the cracks. They do this because they feel that the flaws are seen as a unique piece of the object's history, one which only adds to its beauty. And I might add one that adds more value to it as well so similar to this gold that repairs god is in the middle of our broken pieces his love heals the brokenness our love extended to others can heal brokenness we need to find peace within our broken pieces they're part of our story they're what makes us beautiful so remember that the next time that you feel broken
1: Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. If you're here today and you feel like no one really understands you, Jesus cares for you. If you are here today and you look at this picture that Linda created and said, you know, that really feels like where I'm at. God cares for you. Everyone might fail you. Everyone might forsake you, but Jesus cares for you. And He cares for you more than you could ever realize. And you might say to me, Nicole, how do you know that? Here's how I know 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ, God's own son, was falsely accused. He was beaten. He was tortured. He was put to death on a cross. He had all the power and all the authority to stop the men who were doing this to him, but he chose not to. He chose not to because he loved you and he loved me so much. He chose not to because he cared so much that he was willing to lay down his life that day. And on that cross, all our sin, all our shame, all our pain, all our guilt, all our brokenness, That was all on that cross with him that day and died with him. And he was buried. And on the third day, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And because of this, because of his resurrection, he lives today. And we can have a real life, actual relationship with him. He cares about the tiniest details of our life. And he's working to just set the whole universe out in perfect motion. And if you're here today and you've never understood it quite like this way I'm saying it today, if you've never trusted Jesus as a God who cares for you and as a God who wants to give you to give him your whole heart, I just, I got to take an opportunity today for us just to have that moment. So I know we're a little bit over, over 10, but would you just bow your head right now just for a minute? I'm just going to ask that we would all bow our heads. And I just want to say this morning that if you are here and you, you are just thinking, you know, I want to trust Jesus. Like, I believe he cares for me. I believe he's working this whole thing out for my good. And maybe for the very first time, I want to declare that I trust Jesus. I'm just going to ask if you just raise your hand right where you are so I can pray for you this morning. You can put your hand down. Let's just pray this together. Would you just uh, just echo with me by saying amen or praying in the spirit at your seat? Jesus, we're sorry for the things that we do for the sin in our lives that uh, keep us from you. God, we're sorry that maybe we haven't trusted that you care for us. Would you please forgive us for that? Would you remind our hearts and the very uh, insides of who we are that you died on a cross and you rose again so that you could have a personal relationship with us, God, so that you could be in the middle of all of our details. Lord, help us change today. Help us uh, have a whole heart toward you, God. We surrender it to you. God, we're trusting you. And it's in your strong name I pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me today? I want to read to you this poem as we go. It's a poem called He Maketh No Mistake by A.M. Overton. This is what it says. My father's way may twist and turn, my heart may throb and ache, but in my soul I'm glad I know he maketh no mistake. My cherished plans may go astray, my hopes may fade away, but still I'll trust my Lord to lead, for he doth know the way. Though night be dark and it may seem that day will never break, I'll pin my faith, my all in him, he maketh no mistake. There's so much more now I cannot see, my eyesight's far too dim. But come what may, I'll simply trust and leave it all to him. For by and by the mist will lift and plain it all he'll make through all the way, though dark to me. He made not one mistake. And in the end, I believe this is the testimony of every child of God, that as we go through the journey, as we go through the twists and the turns of life and the detours, that we can say he didn't make one mistake, not one mistake he didn't make because of his sovereign love and deep care for us. Would you invite someone next week to our series called Hey Friend? There's some cards on your way out. Invite someone that needs to hear the message of if you're overwhelmed, God can help you. Isn't that such a good message for right now? We love you. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Have an awesome week, and we'll see you next Sunday.
0: Thank you for listening to the Erie First Podcast. If you like this podcast, please give us a rating and a review at Apple Podcasts and share it with your friends. You can find all our series videos and podcasts at eriefirst.org, along with all our latest news, announcements, and information. Thanks again for joining us.